Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. Well, welcome back to the book of Luke. We are in a study of the book of Luke that is going to take us a very long time. Uh, So as a result, we are breaking up this study uh, two, three, four times a year in order to um, in order to do a different study that's focused just on uh, something that we need, something that uh, that is coming up that's pressing. And so uh, but we're always coming back to uh, the book of Luke as our kind of anchor, our core study um, uh, that we're going through. So if you've been with us from the beginning, uh, you'll remember that our goal in studying through the book of Luke uh, is to learn about Jesus, right? We just want to learn about Jesus. We want to know Jesus better. We want to serve him better. We want to love him better. Uh, and so it's important for us to continually study uh, about Jesus and learn about him. And so whether you've been walking with Jesus for two days or for two decades, it doesn't matter, right? There's always more to learn. There's always more growth that can happen as you study the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, some of us, I think, have grown up in, uh, in this like uh, cultural and personal misperception of who Jesus is, right? Uh, we, we thought that our whole lives that Jesus is one way, and as we're reading the scripture, we're learning that he's a different way. Um, some of us are just newer to the faith, uh, and so as a result, we just don't know much about him, right? We've heard a few things here and there, and, and that's about as much as we know. Uh, and some of us, uh, we've been raised in Christian homes, Right? We've been raised going to church. We've heard the name of Jesus for as long as we can remember. This is my story. Um, uh, and you get to passages like the, the story we're going to read today, and you almost gloss over it. Okay, you, you know what I'm talking about. right? You know how the story goes. You know how the story ends. And so you kind of just skim through it real quick because you, already, you think you already know it. And so uh, this is an opportunity for those of us that are familiar with these passages to pause to dig a little bit deeper and see, is there something I have never noticed about Jesus here, right? Is there something that's gonna draw me into a deeper worship of who Jesus is? And so whatever your background is, uh, this is an opportunity for us to be reintroduced to Jesus of Nazareth, right? Uh, he was man, he is God, right? 
So Eric did a great job last week just catching us up to speed uh, on what we've covered in the first uh, 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 eight chapters, and he launched us back into chapter nine. And uh, so far, we've learned that Jesus is, is he's like none other, right? His, uh, his origin is unique. His upbringing is unique. His life and his ministry are unique, right? Uh, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God and he performed some miracles, uh, lots of miracles to validate uh, his claims about who he was. Uh, and so in, in other words, Jesus's miracles, they, they, they served to prove that he is who he says he is. Right? And there's, there's no better example of this than Luke chapter 5. If you remember the passage of the, the, the paralytic, right? Uh, Jesus is teaching in a house and uh, the, the, the house is packed full. The, the courtyard is packed full. There's, there's, no, there's just standing room only, right? There's no room to get in. And these four, four uh, friends bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus and they can't get in. And so they, they go up to the roof and they do some property damage. They, t- they tear apart the roof and they lower G- this, this, this paralytic in front of Jesus. Um, and what's interesting about that passage is uh, it's very clear what this paralytic needs, right? He needs to be healed, he needs his paralysis to be taken away. But what Jesus says is not be healed. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Okay? Uh, you see, Jesus understood that the paralyzed man had a deeper issue, a more important issue than just his physical paralysis. Right? He needed a healing in his soul before he needed healing in his body. And so uh, the religious leaders are sitting on the front row and they're kind of grumbling about this because you don't say these kinds of things, right? Who, literally, literally they're thinking, who does this man think that he is, right? He's forgiving sins as if he's God. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, he has them right there. He says in uh, Luke five twenty four, uh, so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralyzed man and he says, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home, right? This is a, a, literally, he's telling people that he is God. God. Only God has the ability to forgive sins. I am God. Uh, and so you, that you know that I am God, I'm going to also heal this paralyzed man. So Jesus' miracles and his actions, they served as a sign, as a proof that he is who he says he is. And so... Uh, We got to see some of those miracles over the past eight chapters. We got to see his teaching about the kingdom of God. We got to see him teaching in parables. And then last week, Eric introduced us to uh, the sending of the 12, right? Do you remember who the 12 are? If you've grown up in church, you know exactly who the 12 are. Uh, There are the 12 disciples that Jesus chooses to surround himself by. He has many disciples, many people who are following him. Some that are following from afar. They like what they see, but they're not ready to commit. He has others that are following him and they're joining into his ministry. And then he has the 12 that are like his ministry team, right? They are his apprentices. He is walking through life with them. He is teaching them. He is showing them how to do ministry, how to trust in the Holy Spirit, how to live by faith faith. Uh, And he gets to this point where he sends out the 12 to to do ministry on his behalf. And this is important, okay? Because any good leader does this, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of this where uh, when you're trying to train someone up to do something uh, that you do, you spend a period of time where I do the the work, I do the ministry, and and you just kind of watch, right? Just watch what I'm doing uh, and and, and just ask any questions you have. I'll answer any questions. We'll talk about it. And then there comes a point where we transition, right, where I do the ministry still, but now you're helping me, 
right? So we're working alongside of one another. I'm still taking the lead, but you're helping alongside of me so that you can learn and get some practice in. Uh, and then there, we get to a point where we transition. You've got enough practice in, we've worked together enough times, we transition to where you're doing the work and I'm watching, right? I, I'm, I'm watching, I'm, I'm helping you where you need help, we're talking about what's happening, but you're doing most of the work. Uh, and then ultimately we get to a point where you're doing the work and I'm, I'm, I'm out of the picture. Right, this is just a good leadership transitional practice. And Jesus is doing this with his disciples, right? He spends a period of time teaching and he's doing the ministry and he's showing them how to do the ministry. He's showing them how to teach about the kingdom of God and how to heal people. And then he invites his disciples to do that ministry alongside of him. And then eventually he sends out his disciples to do the ministry on their own. Uh, and in this, in this uh, passage we're in today, he brings them back so that they can kind of talk about what they've experienced. They can debrief. Uh, and they can just review what, what's happened. And you'll see Jesus do this a number of times, right? In, in chapter 9, he does this with the 12, right? In chapter 10, he's going to do this with the 72. He's going to take the 12. He's going to tell the 12, you know, each of you grab a couple of guys. and You're going to do the same thing now. Go out and, and do this ministry. Uh, back uh, after his resurrection, he's going to do that with all of us. Right? He gets to a point where he starts with the 12, goes to 72, goes to 500, goes to all of us. He tells all of us that we are to be witnesses that go out into all the world and make disciples. We're supposed to do the ministry now. Right? Jesus is a great example of leadership, of delegation, of training, of disciple making. The most interesting thing about this though is the fact that God is doing incredible things through the disciples, right? The power is not just through Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not exclusively working through him, right? It is the disciples with the authority of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit doing incredible things. And this is gonna be important in just a minute, okay? Before we jump into today's passage, it's a shorter one. We're going to go through it pretty quickly. But before we jump into today's passage, I want to take a look at what happens right before the feeding of the 5,000, verses 7 through 9. Okay, read that with me. Um, you're sitting at home. I'm in the ESV if you're following along. Luke chapter 9, verse 7 says this. Now Herod the Tetrarch, was, uh, he had heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. Because it is said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Um, this is the story of the, of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's actually talked about in all four Gospels. Okay. Each of the Gospels, the, the, the authors wanted to highlight specific miracles. They wanted to talk about specific miracles. This one is talked about in all of them. Okay, And just before this story, there is the story of Herod and John the Baptizer. Right? And there's this, it's, a, it's an interesting story where uh, apparently Herod had, had thrown John the Baptizer in prison and Something weird happens at a birthday party for King Herod, right? Uh, he has his stepdaughter come and do some weird dance, and it's inappropriate, and it's not uh, family-friendly. Uh, and he makes some promises that are foolish, and as, as a result, uh, he 
executes John the baptizer. Right? And if you don't know who John the baptizer is, he's the cousin of Jesus. They worked alongside of one another in ministry, both used powerfully by the Holy Spirit. There's a mutual respect and love for one another. Uh, and then there's this beautiful moment where John the baptizer, he's, he's submitting himself to Jesus in his ministry because he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. And so there's a submission of, of Jesus to Jesus' authority and ministry. And so when Jesus learns about Herod's uh, uh, execution of John the baptizer, he's mourning, right? The, the disciples are out doing ministry. The 12 have been sent out. Jesus is alone and he's mourning, right? He is grieving for the loss of his friend and cousin, right? And yet, while all of this is happening, while the ministry is being done, King Herod, he receives word that sounds a little bit like John the Baptist is out doing ministry, Right? This is a little bit, this must be a, like a, a freak out moment for him because he's like, I know I killed John. I know he's dead. And yet it's, I'm getting reports that he's out there doing ministry. This is, this is a little bit nerve wracking for him. All right. And so in his confusion and in his fear, he asks probably the most important question that is asked in the book of Luke. Right? Look at verse nine. He says, who is this? about whom I hear such things. Now, this is the most important question that you and I can ask in the book of Luke. Who is this? Who is he really? Right, this is the question that Luke wants his readers, he wants you and me to wrestle with this as we read through his account of Jesus' life. Right, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Right, who did Jesus say that he was? How does my perception or understanding of who Jesus line up with the reality of who Jesus is? Right? If we get this question wrong, there are big consequences. Having said all of that, let's jump into our passage for today. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. A few weeks back, uh, uh, Eric was teaching about Jesus' practice, his rhythm of, of, of retreating, of withdrawing from, from uh, what's going on around him to, to rest, to be with the Father, to recharge, to hear from the Holy Spirit. And so he's inviting in this passage, he's inviting the disciples to do that, right? They have just been out doing ministry and they need some time to rest. They need to debrief all that they had experienced. And honestly, they need to spend some time mourning over the death of John the baptizer. And so this is a little vacation for them. Let's get away. Let's spend some time apart from the work of the ministry. Uh, and as usual, the crowds are so drawn to Jesus that they literally hunt him down. Right? They beat him to where he's going and they come in droves. And so they're drawn by his teaching. They're drawn by his works. But most importantly, they are drawn by him. He is like none other. And, and Mark, the, the gospel writer Mark, uh, gives us a really interesting insight into Jesus' heart in this moment. Right? They're tired. Uh, they want to rest. Uh, and and he, they see all of these people. And Mark chapter 6, 34 says that when they went ashore and they saw the great crowd, uh, he, he, Jesus, he had compassion 
on them. Why did he have compassion on them? Because they looked like they were sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things, right? He wasn't annoyed by the crowds that followed him. He wasn't frustrated that his vacation plans were ruined, right? He saw the crowds and he felt compassion and they reminded him of a flock of sheep without a shepherd that are exposed to the elements that are in danger and that just need to be cared for. And so that's what he does. He sets aside his plans and instead he ministers to the people. Um, If you've ever heard of a pastor named Tim Chester, uh, he's a pastor in the UK. He makes a, a statement in one of his books. He says that in the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he is at a meal, or he is coming from a meal. All right, the book of Luke can be summarized in terms of meals, right? The meals that Jesus has. So much of his ministry is around a table, is uh, around eating. He spends time with people. He's sharing food. Um, and so uh, Jesus is, is, this is one of those stories that's coming to a meal, right? The Gospel of John tells us that uh, when Jesus saw the crowds uh, and he obviously had compassion for them, he actually wanted to test his disciples, Right? They have just come off of a ministry trip, a ministry high. They've done some incredible things. They've been healing people, casting out demons. They're, they're just overwhelmed by how much power and authority Jesus had given them and how much ministry they were able to do and how the Holy Spirit was able to use them in these powerful ways. And Jesus wants to see how much of this has stuck with them. Let's see how they did. Let's see how they do in this test. Verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages uh, and, uh, and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men, and he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. So how did they do? How did they do on this test? Give me a thumbs up if they did great. Give me a thumbs down if they did not do great. All right, no one's doing any up. Oh, thank you, Zeke. There we go. All right, they, they did not do well, right? They did not do well. They just got back from doing incredible things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to see how, how much of this has, is gonna stick with you. Are you going to live in this power of the Holy Spirit or are you going to revert back to your old ways? And that's what happens. They get back. They let their guard down. They fall back into their old rhythms and their old routines and they revert to their old way of thinking. The disciples actually make two very critical mistakes here. Two mistakes that I think you and I are guilty of as well. Two mistakes that I want us to watch out for. I want to talk through these two mistakes and then we will wrap up this passage. Right? The first mistake they make uh, is that they rely solely on their logic rather than on their faith. Right? I'm not saying that, they, uh, that we're supposed to choose logic over faith. We're supposed to be logical people. Don't, we don't do illogical things just because they're... Uh, they're illogical, right? But they rely solely on their logic rather than their faith. The day is getting late and it's starting to become evident that everyone 
has to go somewhere. This can't go on forever, right? We've got, this has got to come to an end at some point. Right? We're in a desolate place. The closest villages are some miles away. And if the, if, if the disciples are anything like me or like some of you, they're probably tired and they want to recoup and, 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 uh, uh, and, and enjoy whatever part of their vacation they have left, right? Uh, and so they take a look at the crowd. They take stock of their available resources and they come to a logical conclusion, Right? The crowds need to go away. We can't support this many people. They need to go and find food and shelter. There's no earthly way that we can make this happen. Um, We do this all the time. We take a look at the problem. We take a look at our available resources. And we come to a logical decision. It's actually wise decision making. Okay. However, while this conclusion makes logical sense, it is not what Jesus was looking for, right? If you had been in their shoes, what would you have done? Right? When, when you find yourself in similarly impossible situations, how do you tend to respond? Right? You find yourself in a financially tight spot, do you cut back on your generosity? Right? You, you, you have a falling out with a, uh, with a friend or a brother or a family member. Do you give up on the relationship? Right? That's too hard. I, I, that's, that's, that's too much on me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up on that. Right? Uh, you, you find out that a coworker or a neighbor has had like a really bad run-in with the church and they're angry at God and the church. Do you avoid that person? Because they're, they're, they're kind of a, a lost case. Right? They're, they're, God's, they're, they don't want to have anything to do with God. Right? Do you avoid that relationship? Right? Their conclusion, it makes logical sense, but it does not take faith into consideration. And I'm as big a fan of logic as anyone. Right? But sometimes I find that God calls us to step out in faith even when things don't make perfect logical sense. Right? Sometimes we're called to step out in faith even when it doesn't make perfect logical sense. How is he doing that in your life, by the way? How is he calling you to step out in faith even if it doesn't quite make logical sense? All right, the first mistake was they relied solely on their logic and, uh, rather than their faith. The second mistake they made was that they deflected their responsibility rather than taking ownership. Okay, they deflected their responsibility rather than taking ownership. Verse 12. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. So they have come to the conclusion of what needs to happen and they begin telling Jesus that he needs to carry out the conclusion that they've come to. Right? And the word there, uh, what they say send, is, is what's called a Greek imperative. It's a command. They are literally commanding Jesus what to do. Right? That's never a good idea. Okay? Telling Jesus what to do. Uh, so they are expecting that Jesus is going to take care of this issue for them instead of realizing that Jesus has called them to step out in faith to deal with this issue. Have you ever found yourself doing this? Okay, all right, you're given a task, whatever it is, or a calling, or a purpose in life, uh, and you hesitate to do it for one reason or another. 
right? Maybe there's someone around who's better at you than that than you are at that task, and you're just like you kind of just are afraid of stepping out because they're already doing it. Maybe the task seems too hard to accomplish, so I don't even try. Right? Maybe, maybe I'm ashamed of the task or the calling that I've been given. It's it's it seems embarrassing to me. Or maybe you're just not comfortable with what you've been called to, with what you've been asked to do. And so, so we deflect it. We ask, we hope that someone else will take care of it, someone else will do it. I want you to take a second right now. What is something that God is calling you to that you'd rather deflect, that you'd rather have someone else do? What is your reason for wanting to deflect that calling. Whatever your reason is, um, I want you to picture yourself in the disciples' shoes for a moment and you look at Jesus and you give him your, your best excuse as to why this isn't gonna work and he looks at you and says, no, you do it. Not someone else, not someone else in the church, not your gospel community leader, you do it. Don't wait for someone else. You do it. Let's see how the story ends. Verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. That's another command, except that one is coming from Jesus. That's an important one, right? You give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about, of about 50 each. And they did so, and he had them sit down. Uh, and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. Uh, they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Disciples have just come off of an incredible ministry high. A win. They've come off of a win. Doing some incredible things. Things they did not think that were possible. And then they find themselves falling back into their old habits. Their old rhythms. Their old ways of thinking. Right? God had just, just days prior to this, he had worked powerfully through them. But now they're struggling with their faith. And this is not uncommon for you and me. Right? We come off of a win and we slump back into unhealthy habits because we've relaxed. You've, you've had this happen to you. I've had this happen to me. Right? And the beautiful thing here is that Jesus doesn't condemn them for their failures. Right? He doesn't reprimand them for their lack of faith. He meets them where they're at and he leads them towards faith. Right? He responds to them with the same level of compassion and care that he offers to the crowd. Um, it is important to note that unlike almost every other miracle in the book of Luke, right, this is the only miracle that doesn't record the response of the crowd. Why do you think that is? I think it's because Luke understood that, that this miracle wasn't performed for the benefit of the crowd. They, they did benefit from it, but it wasn't performed for the benefit of the crowd, but rather for the benefit of the disciples, for your benefit, for my benefit. 
Right? We started this passage with Herod asking the question, who is this about whom I hear such things? And next week, we're going to get a chance to see how the disciples answer that question. But this week, we're not, we're not given an answer. Right? We're just left with this example of Jesus providing a meal for an insane amount of people. Right? Luke tells us 5,000 men. Uh, the other Gospels say, uh, uh, and, and women and children as well. So whatever that number is, it's more than 5,000 people, which in Jesus' day is an insane amount of people. Right? Uh, in today's passage, we're left pondering that, the answer to that question ourselves. Based on the information that we've been given, if you had been a part of that crowd that day, what conclusion would you have come to? Who is this? Who is he? Right, this is the only miracle story that is found in all four Gospels. And the language of this miracle story has an interesting foreshadowing in it. All the, all the commentators mention this. There's some interesting parallels in the language of this story to two other meals uh, in the New Testament. Uh, the next meal that, the, that, that this kind of points to is the Last Supper. If you remember that, that is the, 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 the meal where Jesus introduces the new covenant on the night before he is to be crucified and to pay for our sins. And ultimately, this meal, it uh, points us forward to a meal called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Right? Revel the book of Revelation talks about this. It's, it's a big party that is thrown in heaven after uh, the judgment seat has been taken care of, uh, and it is a meal that will usher in the fullness of the kingdom of God, right? This meal kicks all of that off, right? The feeding of the 5,000 is just a foretaste of that final meal where true satisfaction in God will come, not just for a moment, but for all of eternity, I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your compassion and your grace and your love for us. Right? We are oftentimes those sheep without a shepherd that are wandering, that need your compassion and your love. I ask Jesus right now that you would, um, you would guard us from the, making those two mistakes, the mistake of, uh, of a lack of faith and the mistake of deflecting the calling that you've given us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would um, that you would help us to believe, believe that you can work through us, that you can do impossible things through us. And I pray, Jesus, for the courage and the boldness, uh, not just to uh, to deflect and roll through life and live comfortably, but to step out in faith and trust that you can do these things. Pray all of this in Jesus' name, Amen.